0: there are times that i sing that song with perfect sincerity there are times when i can from the depths of my heart sing that song because i've got my priorities right but folks there's times when i hear the words of that song and i find myself building an altar somewhere brother mike because i can't say those words with perfect truthfulness Folks, if you thought this Christian battle was just, you're just going to get the Holy Ghost and coast into heaven, we're in a warfare. And the enemy is going to constantly come in and and, and you'll think you've got all the territory taken care of. And he'll start building a kingdom back in the recesses of your heart. And if you're not careful, you'll let him get a toe hooked in. But when I hear that song, Lord, my soul loves only you. I start taking inventory. God, do I love you more than cars? Do I love you more than houses? Do I love you more than friends and more than popularity? Do I love you more, God, than all of these things? And I start going down the list. And if I can't check one off, then I get that on my knees. And I say, Lord, I want to tear that kingdom down. Lord, I want to love only you. Because that is all that really matters. David, the psalmist, wrote some beautiful love songs to the Lord. Some beautiful stories of praise and how much that he adored the Lord. But David's life was not always roses, folks. He's one of our most admired characters, but David made some horrible. He made some hideous mistakes in his lifetime. Adultery, murder. Lies. Lies. Things that aren't, uh, it's just unbelievable when you think about it. And they were not without consequences. David didn't get off scot-free because of his sins. And I'm not suggesting in this service this morning that sin does not have its penalties. What I'm fixing to preach to you does not mean that God is not a God of judgment and a God that is going to judge this world. And friend, if you're guilty, you'll perish david's sins were not without consequences his first son with bathsheba died and the scripture says that the sword never departed from his life david was running the rest of his days from his own son a lot of time trouble within his own household was constantly plaguing him and david could have said well i messed up i'm useless to god forget it throw in the town forget it stop and he said i've got to live with this mistake He's haunting mistakes the rest of my life. But that's not what David done. Through repentance and godly sorrow, there's a secret there, folks. It's not just being sorry you got caught. It's not just being sorry that the prophet came and wagged his bony finger in your face and said, you, You're that man, but being truly sorrowful for your sins. David was that kind of man. And though he made mistakes, I want you to know he fought back through those mistakes and it was after Bathsheba. It was after the murder of Uriah that God announced and put it into his holy writ so that it would be go down for the posterity of all mankind. That David is a man after my own heart. Well, I'd like for God to say those words about me. He said them about David that was a murderer, that was an adulterer. See, because that second son didn't die. David bounced back from his horrible mistakes to to teach Solomon the ways of righteousness. It was Solomon that built the temple and guaranteed that there'd be a righteous and a godly generation. What I'm talking to you about this morning is just pure and simple mercy. Would you stand with me Let's read a verse of scripture in Psalms 85? Pure, simple mercy. Plain message about mercy. The secret to David's life was not in his perfection. Of his character. But in his willingness to fall upon the mercy. Of the living God. Psalms 85 verse 10. I want to say How pleasant it is to be in Middletown. You folks are so very kind. I told your pastor after the Friday night service, I said, if every place I went was as easy to preach at, Middletown would make my job a whole lot easier. You would just look forward to preaching all the time. If uh, if, if everybody worshiped, participated in a service, and I so much appreciate that. Psalms 85, verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Read it again. Mercy and truth are met together. It's quite a combination, folks. You get those two together. Righteousness and peace, they're on more than speaking terms. They've kissed each other. want to talk about mercy. Let's bow our heads, saints, and pray there are those in this service today that may have never felt the mercy, that have never known the joy of having a communion with a merciful Lord. Let's pray for them right now as we pray for one another. Lord and Savior, God, we feel the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost here this morning. Lord, it's because a righteous group of saints have gathered here this day to praise and to magnify your name that they have come to love and to adore you and they've done that in song but not just in song but Lord they've lifted up their hearts and praise unto you God and we haven't come this morning just for a good feeling just to have our uh, flesh tantalized by the power of the Holy Ghost so that may well happen but our purpose in being here is to give you glory and in doing that we know that you're going to rescue the perishing. Lord, we ask that this place would be overshadowed with a blanket of your mercy, that people that have never felt your mercy before would begin to snuggle down into the warmth of its sweet communion, that we ourselves would show mercy and be a merciful group of people in this service this day. We'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know. If you'll completely agree with me and my viewpoint here, but uh, folks, I, I just believe that a car, that a vehicle, it doesn't matter if it's a, a tractor, semi-truck, uh, pickup truck, a car, but I just don't think it's much any count if it doesn't have a reverse gear in it. Now, some of you, I, I see some of you with a smug look on your face, like you're you're good enough that you never get yourself in a jam where you need to where you need to back out of it. I'm not that kind of person. I, I mean, when I it wasn't just when I was in grammar school and high school, but today, if I go to sit down and if I'm going to write more than three words, I want my pencil to have an eraser. Folks, I'm I'm accident prone. You know? I mean, I can't spell much anything bigger than cat and expect to get it right. And, and I have to have an eraser. I'm going to make a terrible mess of things. I, I took typing when I was a senior in high school, and I, I, man, I can blaze away at about 30 words a minute. And even at that slow speed, I like to have some correction tape, or I want one of them fancy typewriters that you can just hit that button, and it'll back up and automatically take your mistake out. No, the best carpenters, I've watched a lot of carpenters. I've watched experienced carpenters that have been in the business for years. But I have noticed that not too many of them use a ball peen hammer when they're doing carpentry work. All of them that I have seen use a claw hammer because even the most experienced carpenter will occasionally bend a nail, have to turn that hammer over and pull that rascal out and start all over again. The best drivers, if you think you're Mario Andretti, if you're wise, you'll have automobile insurance. If not for your driving, for the other crazy people that are out there driving. you know, Folks, by virtue and by sense of being alive and growing, we make mistakes. It is just natural. Anything that is alive. Now, now I tell you what, I, I begin to worry a little bit. If folks come to me and say, well, brother, brother Willoughby, you just don't realize how close to perfection that I am. And how little husbands are notorious. They'll tell their wife, honey, you couldn't get any better than this. I tell my wife that. And she's skeptical. And I've learned to be a little bit skeptical of people like that. Because, you see, that tells me something. If you're not making mistakes, we ought to plant you somewhere. About six feet under somewhere. Because, honey, if you're alive and if you're growing, you're going to make mistakes. There's something that, uh, that I think is beautiful about the church of God and the, and the people of God. It's how that a church such as this one, that a sinner can come in off of the street pastor can get up here and preach the 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 word of god and that sinner's heart is gripped with godly sorrow and conviction and the invitation is given for them to come down to the altar and to repent of their sins and, and they come down to this altar of prayer and it has always been a beautiful sight To see that how the saints of God will come around those wayward ones. And they will cover them with compassion. They will smother them with interest. And they will have advice to give them about how to pray through. And how to reach the throne of mercy and of grace. And they're quick to instruct them. And and we want to help them get through to God. And and we're up there telling them, forget your mistakes. Jesus forgives. (laughs) You can hear if you'll stand close by, and if there's a sinner in this altar this morning, you'll hear somebody say, Honey, don't worry about your past. The blood can cover any mistake that you've ever made. You'll hear some folks saying, Leave your failures at Calvary. Jesus will make something beautiful out of your life. Just bring your broken, crumbled, torn apart life, and you lay it at the foot of the cross, and Jesus will put your life back together. And if you're here today and you're hurting, And you're you're lonely and you've got pain and misery in your life. Let there be no mistake about it this morning, my friend. Jesus can do all of those things. He'll forget your sins. He'll separate you from your sins as far as the east is from the west. He'll put them in the sea of forgetfulness and put up a no fishing sign. Don't let there be a mistake about it, friend. He is a loving and forgiving God. And there is nothing... That'll get this church cranked up like sinners coming to the altar. Amen. Folks, that, it, saints, it not what we live and breathe for? Amen. Honey, this is what it's all about. Don't you be bashful. If, if the Lord talks to your heart this morning and you feel an unusual tug, you might not even understand what you're feeling. But if, the, if, if, if that soul of yours says, when the invitation is given for you to come down here and pray, don't you hesitate and think these folks are going to be looking at you kind of funny. And they're going to be wondering, well, I wonder what kind of life they live. i tell you what their action in this church is. When you begin to come down here and pour your heart out to God, they're going to be rejoicing. They're going to be dancing. They're going to be shouting. They're going to be praising the Lord. You know why? Because that's what heaven's doing. And I don't happen heaven to be doing anything that I'm not doing. Because when you pray through, we don't know what excites heaven except one thing. And the scripture says that when a lost lamb comes back home, that all of heaven throws a great big celebration. The angels get out the party whistles And they begin to juke and have a good time when a lost lamb comes home. And that's the way that it is and it should be. Church, can I take a moment out to talk to you? We do that for sinners off the street. Let me ask you a question. What are a person? What is a person like that? When they come down to this altar, they're just a sinner. Ungodly, illegal, immoral, unregenerated sinner. Just like you and I were. But they are a sinner. They have, they are sinners who have never given a nickel to foreign missions. This church is a good giver, foreign missions and church. Don't you slack up and back off on that. Don't you ever think if we'd keep more money here, then, then, then we'd have more for us. Friend, you can't outgive the Lord and you want your ministry to reach beyond Middletown. You want your ministry to reach around the world. And I appreciate your faithfulness in your giving. But those sinners that coming off the street have never made the sacrifice that you have, have never worked overtime so they could pay a faith promise plan. That sinner off the street has never, has never paid one thin dime in ties, not on one dollar. They've never made the chocolate Easter eggs so that you could sell, so that the ladies could have money to do things around the church and fix things up and buy buy things so that the church could look nice and be nice. They've never done any of those things. They've never come in on Saturday visitation and went out at 11 o'clock and knocked on doors when everybody else lives for Saturday, so they can do what they want to do and do the activities they want to do, and that's what they've been doing all of their life While you've been coming and going and knocking on doors and having people smack you in the face and tell you you're a jerk and an idiot, they ain't done any of those things. Not one day counts. For godliness or holiness or truth or righteousness. Not one hour have they ever spent in fasting and prayer. Every dime they ever made was spent on pornography, whiskey, cocaine, tobacco and lottery tickets. I'm I'm, I'm just painting you the picture here. Hang on just a second and and you'll find out where I'm going. If you take those people and you put them on the scale, on the balance of justice, I'm telling you, it would tilt overwhelmingly against them. If you weighed their goodness on one side, it would be incredibly light. If you weighed their, their, their badness on the other side, it would be incredibly heavy. And he who never tried to do right before in his life we smother them with compassion and by the grace of God and by a godly example we make saints out of them. And it ought to be that way. And there is nothing more beautiful than seeing that happen. But we have so much tolerance for the sinner yet we often have none for our own tried and truth. Listen to me, saints, we weak at enormous amounts of sin in the center off the street. But one of these young people, one of these teenagers can make one or two little bobbling mistakes and we're ready to knock them in the head. We'll have infinite patience with somebody off the street that has never done nothing for this church. But when we sometimes we have no patience and mercy for our own. Our criticisms are so bitter, so long-lasting, that our young people grow up hunchback. They grow up spiritually deformed because all they've had is criticism. They, I tell you what now, I, I, Folks there's nobody that believes in the standard and, the, and, and and living right But when you compare some of these kids And their faults To what's going on in their school that, 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 that The pregnancies that's happened The drug abuse The alcoholism that's going on in our schools Honey you better be glad that you got your little darling In this middle town church That they're coming here And for all of their mistakes For all of the bibles that they make You better show some mercy You better be glad that they are here in this house of God Our children Our young adults And even our adults Make one mistake Or two bad judgments Three baubles We say Well bless God To him that knoweth To do good And doeth it not To him it's sin They knew better Knock them in the head And Dean bats Hey folks I've felt that way before I've given people counsel And they turn around and do the exact opposite of what you tell them. And you just want to strangle them. How could anybody be that stupid? You know what? God tapped me on the shoulder. He said, honey, if if that's the way you feel about them, do you have any idea how many times I'd like to have strangled you? (laughs) Has it ever occurred to you times you fumbled the ball and you come whining back to me and saying God I'm sorry I could have said you made that mistake 25 times last month you dummy but God doesn't do me that way and honey you better not do these people that way you better learn mercy you better covet mercy you better be merciful I'm talking about people with a long record of mostly good basically good people that we sometimes have no tolerance for They make a mistake in their decisions about child rearing. You know, the wife has one opinion about child rearing and the husband has another and, and then the the husband or the wife will hold the other one guilty things don't turn out exactly like they should and and then the other one's wagging their finger at at, at, at a loving kind tender wife that does that does 99% of everything good but you keep constantly hounding her about that 1% that she messed up on and you're gonna have big problems folks you got you got people folks it's a reality and when me and my wife got married there was no option there was no clause in our marriage license that says if this don't work out this is just this is just a trial run you know if this don't work then then uh, you go that way and I'll go this way and, and you know it wasn't all that stuff but I'm telling you that outside of this church there are people every two people you meet on the street the chances are one of them's been divorced and you can be so holy and sanctimonious that you don't wanna that you don't wanna get involved in those kind of people, but honey, who are you gonna get to come to your church? There's a lot of hurting, aching people out there that made bad mistakes, that made bad decisions in choosing a wife or a husband. And we better be merciful. We better learn to be merciful. There's people, there's saints that come and nine times out of ten, they got a smile on their face and a handshake and a pat on the back. But you walk in one day and they in a grumpy mood and they chew you out. I'll remember that to the day I die. Repent if you want to, honey, but I got a memory like an elephant. I won't forget it. In a moment of weakness, we disappoint a friend. And they can't ever make it right. No matter how much they do, no matter how much they try to make it up, it just is never right again. Friend, we build walls of hurt and anger and resentment an offense without mercy but I'm telling you this morning saint and sinner alike there never comes a time when you can do without mercy I don't care if you've never repented before you need mercy I don't care if you had the Holy Ghost 25 years honey you need mercy I don't care if you've been preaching the gospel for 50 years you need mercy Jesus came to bring us a better way Jesus came to change the offenses he said you have heard it said that you hate your enemy He said, but that's not the way I'm telling you. You do good for them who despitefully use you. You pray for them. You give your food. You meet the needs of your enemies. You show mercy. On Mount Sinai, God came for a visit. Remember when God came to visit Moses and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai? Quite Quite an occasion. The whole atmosphere was filled with smoke. The earth shook like a violent earthquake and the rumblings and the groanings, the thunder and the lightnings. And the scripture says that the people feared and trembled at his presence. Friend, you didn't feel comfortable in the presence of the God that Moses was acquainted with. You did not feel like standing to your feet and with an expression of love and gratitude. uh, Praising the Lord that Moses was acquainted with. You felt like running and hiding in the rocks. Because you expected any moment one of those bolts of lightning to pierce your soul. Because you knew that you was guilty. And you knew that he was a righteous and holy God. I want to tell you. If you don't accept his mercy, if you don't allow him to change your life, friend, you're going to meet that same kind of God. But you don't have to today. I'm telling you that God, that he came for a different thing. Uh, There was a time and all, all the law that was given to Moses, its only message could be summed up in just just a few words. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. That's what you had to look forward to. You wake up in the morning and you get out the good book and you read, The Soul That Sinner Shall Surely Die. And you know you got to go work with the grumpiest, grouchiest, heathenest boss in the whole world. And before the day's over, you're going to want to cut his heart out. And you're saying, God, I'm doomed before I even start. I mean, why didn't you know, nobody even try? Because I'm going to sin before the day's over if I'm not real, 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 real careful. You know, you know what I'm talking about, folks? I, we're talking about people without the Holy Ghost that are trying to live by the law. They're trying to not. They won't even want to covet. It's one thing not to want to kill. Not to kill somebody, but it's hard not to want to sometimes. Oh, I can keep from hitting somebody, but it sure is hard for me not to clench my fist and grip my teeth sometimes. Oh, I'd like to hit him right in the nose. Coveting. You're not doing it, but you're wanting to. You know. That's all you had to look forward to. The soul that sinneth will surely die and the people quake and feared in the present. Friend, but that wasn't the last hurrah. That wasn't the last say so. There was a lone figure that stood out on Mount Calvary. And friend, there had been rivers of blood. When Moses was given the law, all those sacrifices, there were rivers, there were oceans of sacrificial blood that had shed upon the altars of God. And all they were doing was pointing forward, pointing to a day when there would come a sinless lamb, when there would become a lamb. That would die on the cross of Calvary. And that lone figure of Jesus Christ. Stood up on Mount Calvary's hill. And he suffered the agonizing death. Of that cross. He took upon himself. And he who was given no mercy. He bore the full penalty of sin. Without mercy. That's why when they held that gall and vinegar. Up to his lips. That sedative that would have eased the pain. He refused it. He wasn't going to, he, he was going to bear the full weight of the judgment of mankind's sins. Peter found out about mercy. You remember Peter, don't you? Man, he's quite a character. Uh, you know, that that Peter was some more, of a, uh, Peter was the only man that we know of in Scripture that ever walked on water. Him and Jesus. That's good company to keep, isn't it, Brother Mike? I mean, if you and Jesus the only one that done something, you pretty well got, you know, got that market cornered. I tried walking on water. I do good to tread water for five minutes. Much less walk on it. Peter was the first. He, he was a first. Peter was in on a bunch of stuff, folks. He was the first in receiving divine revelation. Jesus asking who he is, and he's getting all kinds of crazy answers. And Peter, he's got the answer. I know, I know, I know. The first in divine revelation. He was given when nobody else was given the privilege. To ha- having the keys. When old Peter walked around, he could just jingle the keys in his pocket. Them other disciples get to feeling kind of froggy and like this. Somebody old Peter, he just. Hey boys, don't forget who's got the keys. Jesus gave them to me. Peter, you know. Pete, I'm the one with the keys, boys. Peter was the one who stood there. When that mob came to take Jesus away and he whipped that sword out and friend, there was not an ounce of cowardness in Peter. When that group came, the scripture says it was a band of soldiers. I always had an idea with Jim that it was just all 10, 20, 30, maybe fellows that came to take Jesus away. One of the other gospel writers says it was a great multitude. A band of Roman soldiers was the 10th part of a legion. We're talking somewhere between four and five hundred men. Came with the high priest. Honey, when you can just when you're just a dumb fisherman and you can look five hundred men in the eyeballs and whip out a sword and start chopping off ears, don't tell me he is chicken-hearted. It was Peter that stood there when the Lord's talking about and he's talking about being betrayed. Peter says, "Listen, Lord, let's get one thing straight. If everybody leaves you, if the whole chicken bunch runs and hides, you count on old Pete. I'll be there when the going gets tough." On the night of the Passover, Peter, if you'd have asked him, he would have told, he would have said his faith was the strongest it had ever been. If you'd have asked Pete, he'd have said that his love was the warmest. And it burned the brightest in his heart. That it had ever in his whole life. When he had just seen and been and done and experienced so much. And he was at the pinnacle. The Lord was talking about being taken away and being betrayed. But Peter didn't believe it ever happened. He thought that's right before we're ushered in the kingdom of God. And he was looking to sit on a throne just any day now. And Peter would have told you that his spiritual life was at an all time high. But before that Night was over. Peter failed miserably. We're not talking about next month. Next week. We're talking about a man who stood there with a bulldog determination. And said I can do it. But he failed before the night was over. And the enormity of his failure is staggering. I'm talking about mercy. I'm talking about a savior. Who had given mercy. Of himself continually for three and a half years, who had without fault and personal gain had ministered to the multitudes and to those twelve disciples. And when Jesus most desperately needed a friend to turn to, where was they? When Jesus most desperately, how many times had Peter leaned on Jesus's shoulder for comfort and for advice? How many times did he come and said, Lord, they're asking about taxes and I don't know what to do about that. and I, I don't have the an answer. And the Lord just says, go catch a fish. And the first, when you get, i have a corn. You go pay our taxes. He was constantly pulling Peter out of a jam. And the one time that Jesus needed a shoulder to lean on, he walks back and looks at Peter and says, could you not tarry with me one hour? Heart was breaking inside of him. Judas, one, a hand picked, hand chosen apostle. He had hand groomed to change the the history of the world had betrayed him. And for three thirty lousy, measly pieces of silver had went and betrayed him. And he came walking up with a band of soldiers and they came out with a mob. And Jesus said, you come like I'm a thief or something with your swords and your staves and and you treat me like I'm common trash. And Judas walked up to him. And when he was really, I mean, even in the midst of this, folks, Jesus, he says, friend. He doesn't say you scum. I can't believe that you'd do this to me after all you've done. After all I've done. In the midst of all that's going on, knowing that he's fixing to be crucified, he has time to look into the eyes of a traitor and say, Friend, Judas, are you sure you want to do this? This is your last chance to back out, Judas. You haven't gone too far yet, Judas. You've made some bad mistakes here, Judas. You're stepping on thin ice, Judas. But if you'll turn around right now, Judas... Boldly, without instruction, Peter just made a blunder of everything. He whips that sword out with no instruction from the Lord. And chops that servant's ear off. And, and, and to, to, to Peter's dismayed. Jesus is arrested. He sees him take him away. As the torch lights dim, as they're making their way down the rocky path back into the city. Peter, he kind of he kind of slinks along in the shadows behind him and John. rest of them scatter like Sheep. Peter and John, they just kind of slip along in the shadows. They're following Jesus and that band and that group and that angry mob back into the city. The scripture says that Peter follows afar off. I never seen this until recently, but if you if you want to check it out for its accuracy, John 18 and 16, you have to piece it together, Mark 14 and 66, and there's some other scriptures. But if you'll piece together, you have to take all the gospel writers and, and line it up chronologically. But if you'll look at it, you can check it out. John, the scripture says that John, knowing the high priest, gains admittance and goes upstairs to where Jesus is at. Now, it was probably when it was upstairs, it was probably just down in a, in, a, in a courtyard into an entrance. And the scripture says that John, knowing the high priest, goes in he was undoubtedly personally acquainted and he had family ties and relations with the high priest and when nobody else was brave enough and when everybody else was thinking of their own hide honey when they took jesus away every one of them men expected to be the next why do you think they was cringing and hiding when Je- after the resurrection when jesus appeared into them and they hid hide all hiding in that room they just hid out on the back side of town hoping that nobody found them because they didn't want to be the next one on that cross and they're running and hiding and, 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 and John goes in and to see what's going on on the trial of Jesus. And the scripture says that Peter stays outside. John comes out and he's encouraged by what he's seen. If you'll read this, you'll see that John goes in. I'm going to read a little bit between the lines, but it's there, folks. And he comes back out and talk, starts talking to Peter. And I'll tell you what John was trying to get across to Peter. Because when you read it over in Mark and stuff, when John walks in there and he's seeing how the trial is going, they're bringing in false witnesses and the prosecuting attorneys calling up the witnesses and they come up and they tell, make up this outlandish story about Jesus of Nazareth. And then they leave the witness stand and the prosecuting attorney calls the next witness and he comes up and he gives his testimony and the book says that they could not agree in their testimony. They paid them. They were false witnesses that were hired and the dummies still couldn't get their story straight. Reading from the cue cards, they couldn't get it right. And by Jewish law, you could not condemn a man except in the mouth of two or three witnesses, and honey, Ocacus and them were on the hot seat. They had went out and arrested Jesus and created a mob scene that they were going to have to give account to Pilate for, and here their whole case was crumbling around their feet. And I guarantee you, knowing the heart of John, oh, John said, I'll take the stand on Jesus' behalf. And no doubt he testified on the account of Jesus and told about all that he'd seen and all that Jesus meant to him. But you see, they dismissed John's testimony because the testimony of one man didn't amount to nothing. John gets all excited. Woo! He says, Peter is out in the outer court. If I can get Pete and he goes running out there and he asks the damsel to open the door and he goes outside the gate and says, Peter, you're not going to believe this, but them dummies can't get nothing straight in there. And if you'll go in there with me, we can testify on the Lord's behalf and we'll get Jesus off scot-free. Peter reluctantly, because he's scared about this whole situation. He's been in the forefront in the light, and he's afraid that things go wrong. If this trial goes sour, he could end up in the same pickle Jesus is in. But he agrees to go in, and as they walk up to the door, the damsel unlocks the door and opens the door and lets him in. And when Peter goes past, she looks at him. I've seen that rascal before. He looks familiar. Peter, he kind of Turns his collar. He's he's getting even more nervous now. And he walks over to the fire. He's trying to avoid detection. And the little gal, she follows him. And and she looks at him, gets around in front of him. And Peter's trying to keep his back to her. But she gets around where she can see his face in the reflection in the firelight. And she looks at him and says, yeah, you're one of them. And the scripture says that he denies it and says, in good old Tennessee vernacular, he he says, you don't know what you're talking about. You've made a mistake. And so Peter and, 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 and so and, and he's and he's standing there and, and he's just getting he's getting more nervous and, and he begins to get terrified and he walks over to John. He says, John, he said, I'm sorry, John, but I just can't do it. You read it, folks. He started in. He went through the gate and then he turns around and walks outside into the outer court. Because he couldn't do it. When that little girl looked at him and said, You're one of them. It just smote him. The man who had been the epitome of bravery and of courage was now his heart melted with fear. And he was afraid. And he went in head and slinked away like a coward. But the cold drew him back to the fire. And it wasn't just long till he was at a different fire. But he's standing around and he's warming at the fire. And another lady walks up and says, He says, you're, you're one of them. And this time, he's, he, he's, had, he's been standing there long enough. And it's been eating away at him. The fear, the fear, the loneliness, the discouragement. It's eating away. Folks, it can happen to you. It can happen to you. It can happen to you. He that thinketh, he standeth, take heed lest he fall. And it had been eating away at him. And she walks up and says, you're one of them. And the scripture says that he turns. And with an oath, he denies it. swears by the living God that she doesn't know what she's talking about. In about an hour, he doesn't know he's John's in a p- Peter's in a pickle. John's in there trying to trying to help Jesus. Peter's chicken to go in, but he can't leave. Part of him wants to stay. Part of him wants to run and hide in the darkness. And he stands And the scripture said, I've never seen it, but he was there for a whole nother hour pacing the floor walking around there around the fire trying to figure out trying to get up his courage trying to get up his nerve to go back in there to testify on jesus's behalf trying to get up the nerve that he could go in there and and stand up and, and and be the witness for jesus that he ought to be and he's hanging around for an hour and another fellow walks up and says you're one of them he said i can tell by the way you talk you're from tennessee Folks, I lived in Illinois for seven years, in Minnesota for three, and they still go. You are from down south, aren't you? Tennessee, maybe? You can't cover it up, yeah? Said you from Galilee, boy. You talk like one of them fishermen down there, from that fishing village. And then another one walked up. It was a Ken folks, a Malchus. You know who Malchus was? He's the one that got his ear chopped off. One of his Ken folks says, "Yeah, I seen you in the garden. You're the one that whacked my cousin's ear off." And Peter throws a Raving maniac fit and he begins to curse and to swear and to say, can't I get it through your thick skull? I don't know him. I don't like him. I wouldn't walk across the street with him. I won't have anything to do with him. And while he's going through this tantrum and this rage, the rooster crows. cock-a-doodle-do. Sick rooster. looks and Jesus is standing there in the agony of the situation and he turns and his gaze locks on two eyes across the courtyard standing around the fire warming himself at the enemy's fire folks when Jesus looked at him it wasn't a look of where was you at when I really needed you Peter He didn't look at him with a condemning, though he had every right to be disappointed in Peter. And as a and as a man with flesh and bones, I'm sure that he had his his amount of disappointment. But when his eyes looked at Peter, it was not a look of condemning. He just looked at Peter. But you know who it was, what it was that condemned Peter? It was his own heart. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't the look that Jesus gave him that made him want to run. And the scripture says that Peter turned. he had said what he was going to do. He had said that he was going to teach 10 home Bible studies this year and he didn't teach none. He had said that he was going to bring people out to Sunday school and he hadn't done none. He said that he was going to win five people to the Lord this year and he hadn't done none of those things. He said that he was going to pray an hour a day and be faithful and fast at least one day a week and he hadn't done none of those things and the scripture says that he ran away and those hot salty tears were burning streaks down his face and he was blinded by his pain and his misery as he he ran from the present to the one that he had loved and adored. Today, there's roosters crowing, and there's the echo of the, the cock crowing in ears here this morning. Because some of you have been and stood where Peter is. You see, what was so bad about this is Peter had to live for the next three days with his failure. Now, you and I know how the story ends, folks. And we know that it was in the will and the providence of God that he died upon that cross and that he presented himself as a ransom for all of mankind. But Peter didn't have a clear understanding of that on that day. When the Lord looked at him and he had denied and cursed him three times, Peter didn't have that understanding. All Peter could think of is what he had done. And when the Lord needed him, how that he had betrayed him! And all Peter could think of is how did that big burly soldier stood there with that whip cord surreptitiously in his head. And every time that the sound of that lash echoed in the ears of Peter. Every time he laid down to sleep, he'd stick his fingers in his ear. He'd try to shut it out. He'd try to get it out of his mind. But he could hear the crack of that whip as that burly soldier expertly laid that lash to Jesus' back. And as he dragged it back. That, thing of just, that glass and that bone in the end of that whip would just hiss like a snake as he came across that cobblestone courtyard and then he'd crack it again on the back of Jesus and he'd open up gaping wounds on the back of our Lord all Peter could think about is how that they had planted a crown of thorns and they had without any mercy had rammed it down upon the brow of Jesus and those thorns had pierced into his very skull and the blood came running and streaming down his face all Peter could think about were the Wow. Was the monkeys When they hung the purple robe on him. He said okay king. You're so smart. You're such a prophet. Prophesy to us. Tell us who it was that slapped you. Tell us who it was. that that That's, that's beating you up. And they spit upon him. And they mocked him. And Peter would try to run. He'd pull the cover up around his head. And he couldn't forget. He'd go down and he'd take a walk on the beach. And try to listen to the waves. Splashing up on the shore. And think pleasant thoughts. But all he could think about. Was off in the distance. As he watched. As they hung Jesus on that cross. And he had those nails driven through his hands. As they had pierced his feet with those nails. As they had walked around him. And wagged their heads and mocked him. Peter couldn't shut it out. It haunted him. It tormented him. It followed him every moment. The three agonizing long 24 hour periods. It haunted him. His failure. His mistakes. How would Jesus ever love Peter again? How could he? How could God, how could Jesus love somebody that had made, had said so much and done so little? I'll tell you how. Mercy. (laughs) Say, I can't fathom it. I can't understand it. I can't get it to compute in this little rinky-dink computer that I got up in my skull I don't know how I can make the same old mistakes and do the same dumb thing and do the same ignorant things time and time again and I keep coming back to the altar and he keeps dipping that hyssop branch down in that innocent blood and he just starts painting over all them black ugly marks all them mistakes and he just pulls out the eraser and starts erasing he just takes out the correction tape and takes that letter out of there that don't belong there I don't know why he's that kind of God but I tell you what, I sure do appreciate it. I don't understand how he could be so merciful, but I sure am glad that he is because I find myself time and time again calling on his mercy. You better learn mercy. You better love mercy. Mercy. You better learn to let these people make mistakes and then love them back to Jesus because you might be the next one with a broken home. You might be the next one that's having a mate ask you for a divorce. You might be the next one that has an unwed daughter in your family. You might be the next one that slips and falls. You better learn mercy because to Him who is merciful, He obtains mercy. To He that is forgiving, obtains forgiveness. And friend, I don't want to meet the Lord unless I have forgiveness in my life. I'm not that good. I'm not that perfect. I'm alive like Peter if a man be overtaken in a fault ye which are know-it- alls ye which are perfect yourselves not what the scripture says ye which are spiritual restore such a one what Spirit? Wag your accusing bony finger and say, I'm not that dumb. I wouldn't have made that kind of mistake. Ye which are spiritual, you restore them in a spirit of meekness. Why do you want to do that? Considering thyself, because it might be you the next time sitting in the pastor's study getting counsel it might be you the next time that's coming up and standing before this church with tears streaming down your face and saying church I never thought it would happen but I failed God and I've wounded the the, the ministry of this church and this body of believers and I'm asking you for forgiveness it might be you the next time that's standing up here needing mercy you better be merciful you better consider them in a spirit of meekness, lest it also be you the next time If you're here today, whether you be one that is a sinner, not acquainted with Christ, or if you be a saint, consider yourself a saint. If you go to hell, I'm going to tell you something. Don't let this shock you, but it won't be because of sin. If you go to hell, it won't be because of sin, because Jesus paid for your sin. If you go to hell, you will go because you refuse God's mercy and you refuse his remedy for sin. It won't be because of sin, because sin was paid for. When that drop of innocent blood began to stream down Calvary's brow, for in the price and the penalty for sin was already paid for, it has been taken care of. And if you go to hell, it's because you won't accept that remedy for sin. The Bible gives us a gives us a gives us the character traits of those that's going to be in hell: fearful, unbelieving, murderers, those that are perverted in different and various sorts. I won't mention idolaters. All liars. That's Sunday school liars. That's church board liars. That's preacher liars. All liars are going to be in hell. Everybody that's there is going to be guilty of some or all of those things. But you know what is very shocking? There will be people in heaven that are guilty of the same exact sins. When Paul was given an inventory of some of the churches that he preached at, he said, you're this, and you're that, and you're this, and some, some of you, you'll pass, that's what you were. You know what the difference, the only difference, the reason why those people made it to heaven is because they received mercy and salvation through Jesus and were saved. The people in hell are going to be just like the people in heaven except for one notable difference. The people in heaven and the people in hell the difference is not sin the difference is Jesus Christ. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we all like sheep have gone astray everyone to his own way the only reason that I'll be qualified to stand on the portals of glory is not because of who I am it's because of who he he is. It's because of his everlasting, his redeeming mercy. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, yeah. Let me mention Peter. I want you to think about your situation this morning. And I dare say that you fumbled the ball as bad as Peter has. Tell me, Brother Willoughby, I've grown up in church and I backslid. Oh, I don't know. Eight times, I dare say that you stood, and you could have. Peter could have went and testified for Jesus, and could have changed the whole situation, but he didn't. I dare say that your situation is bad as Peter's. Say, brother Willoughby, I've made such a terrible mess out of my life, and I just don't see how God could ever love me. Peter didn't see how he could ever love him again I want you to notice that on the morning the first day of the week when the sun was coming up Jesus surely had a busy agenda that day, he must have had a lot of things that he wanted to do that day when he met Mary Magdalene in the garden, she was the lady that had a whole multitude of devils had a bad reputation He met Mary Magdalene in the garden that morning and after revealing himself to her, he gave her a message. Brother Jim, I I mean, we're talking about the Lord here having a busy agenda. There was lots of things that he had on his date book for that day that had to be taken care of. But the first thing at daylight that morning, he said, go and tell my disciples. That coward bunch, that lily-livered bunch of bunch of wimps he didn't say that but he could have he said go and tell my disciples give them the good news tell them that i was dead but i'm alive now he said tell my disciples but this is what i like saints he says and peter it wasn't an afterthought he didn't say, and Peter, oh yeah, I almost forgot, Peter. No, he said it for emphasis. He said, oh Peter, he's been going through hell on earth these last three days. Hit more, and I know he's cried a lot of tears. He spent a lot of time in prayer, repenting over the mistake that he made. And Mary, you go tell the disciples, but you take a special message to Peter. You tell Peter that I love him. You tell Peter that I forgive him. You tell Peter. Peter that I'm not the same God that was on Mount Sinai but I have revealed myself in truth and in mercy they've kissed each other righteousness and peace have come together you tell him, Peter let's worship him in the presence hallelujah Where it all takes place. Some of you need to take a trip down memories lane. You need to walk back past the cross this morning, because some of you have forgotten what mercy is all about. Some of you have become so so satisfied with the kind of life you're living, but honey, you're never going to make it without mercy. You're never not one of you. I don't care how good you've been. I don't care how much you pray. You're not gonna make it without mercy. You're going to need to hear the words that Peter Peter heard. Jesus is walking down the aisles in Middletown, Ohio this morning and he's saying tell Brother Willoughby you go and tell the church at Middletown that I love them and tell that young lady tell that young man tell that young man you tell them that I love them I love Peter, I love the rest of the disciples but I've got a special message just for you, Jesus has come with a special message for some of you young people this morning to tell you that he loves you, that he cares about you when you make mistakes keep on trying keep on loving him keep on repenting he'll forgive you for his mercy endureth forever for his mercy endureth forever for his mercy endureth forever, for mercy endureth forever. this altar open you need a touch of mercy on your life you come running down to this altar you come streaming down to this altar I don't care how long you've been living for God don't be bashful you come down here and you plug into that
1: mercy of oh, the There's some
0: more that need to come. There's some more that needs to come. Send a friend of mine, would you come and let him to to cleanse you? Would you allow him to lift that heavy burden of sin off your life? Hallelujah. Come on, moms and dads. Hallelujah. Of your young people by the hand and come down the altar with them. Let them know that you're standing by their side. Let them know that you understand that they're going to make some mistakes. Thank you, man, for coming. Saints, keep praying there's still some that are coming.
1: Hallelujah, man! Would you like to come this morning? Hallelujah, hallelujah. They're coming, saints. Hallelujah, in the presence. Oh! Thank you so God. Mercy. 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 Hallelujah. He's the Prince. The Prince of Peace.
0: Hallelujah. Saints, let's come on and gather in and pray with these. Some young ladies up here. Some young men. Come pray with me and find somebody. Maybe you don't feel like you know. If there's some, that do, come and stand at this side. Hallelujah. Come and give them that compassion or instruction that we were talking about. Ask somebody to come with you as and come with you. Would you come?
1: Would you
0: come? It's never too late. It's
1: never too late.
0: It's never too late. I don't care how many times you made mistakes. It's never too late if you're coming.
1: of a merciful God.
0: that have wounded and offended this church that have brought a reproach upon it. But who are you you and I to stand and judge their righteousness, their wrongness? I try to be very merciful because I make a lot of mistakes. I need a lot of mercy myself. I want to read this to you and I don't know but if you feel the urge I, I... I want you, one of the words of praise in the Bible denotes that in the lifting of hands, sometimes, you know, sometimes we lift our hands different ways. Sometimes it's kind of a, a it's kind of an action of, of victory and of triumph. Have you ever noticed how sometimes saints will lift their hands and it, it's kind of, you just do your arms out like this. You know what you're doing? Maybe not even realizing it. You're kind of making a funnel you just say Lord, pour me full. God, here's my cup. I'm lifting it up. And God, I, I it's got a great... Not just a, I'm not just putting a little bitty mouth on this jug here, God. But I, I, I got a great big. You ought to be able to hit this open spout real easy. I tell you what, folks. I, I just feel like asking the Lord to fill me up with mercy this morning to make me compassionate. There's people out there that have done all manner of ungodliness and we've got to learn to love and to be merciful like our Lord does. In the 118th Psalm it says, oh give thanks. If you get the urge while I'm reading this and you want to get your your, your picture filled up with mercy then just make a funnel and let the Lord just touch you right now. Oh give thanks unto the Lord for He is good because His mercy in Endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress; the Lord answered me and set me free in a large place. The Lord is on my side; I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. There shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. I tell you for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. For he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Let's say that one time together. For he